Welcome to the Zeal Interestings podcast, where we discuss an interesting article or link from the week. I'm your host, Chris White. My co-host for this week is Adam Cuppy. Welcome to the podcast, Adam. Thank you, Chris. Hi, everybody. Hi, everyone. We're so glad you decided to listen this week. Today, we're talking about an article released by Bloomberg citing evidence that Apple is working on an augmented reality headset. Holy cow. No kidding. No, I'm very excited by this. Super excited by this. Yeah, it seems like you hear about companies like filing patents and maybe doing some research and they've got somebody somewhere working on just about anything. But it seems like this article spells out a lot of different internal leak evidence that they're actually preparing a product that they're going to release. Yeah, I mean, for years now, Apple has been filing patents around how AR and AR headsets might be a part of their future. But, you know, it's not new for a company like Apple or Google or, you know, to issue patents way prior to anything that they might actually implement. The nature of humongous enterprise companies is to protect all their IP. So, again, that's not something that, you know, hearing that they're developing something crazy and wild as far as patents are concerned, is not an overly it's not news. exciting thing. No, it's not It's not too much news. But when you compare the patents that they have filed and the mock-ups that they've delivered in their patents in conjunction with some of the very clear work they've been doing to decouple certain devices from one another, like as an example, the Apple Watch no longer needing the iPhone itself for a data connection, as well as even their... AirPods being Bluetooth and having, you know, the technology baked into them. And when you combine that entire history and all of that progress and you combine it with this idea of, well, what if you then combine some sort of visual, you know, HUD to the entire experience? Like, what would that mean? That's when it starts to feel really cool. Right. What is a full-blown, fully independent computing device and like a fully mobile and no phone needed smartwatch is evidence that it doesn't need to look like much, does it? No, yeah, exactly. Well, there was this, just coincidentally, and I think many of us have probably seen this, there's this great little graphic that shows the iPhone in 2007, its size, its form factor, its pixel density, its memory on board, all of that stuff is the equivalent of what the Apple Watch is today. Right. And so to look at that 10 years later and be like, wow, you know, we all predicted, we all knew that the technology would continue to shrink But with that trend continuing, what is that going to mean? And with things like Google's attempt at this same sort of like heads up experience. Right. And then, of course, with the HoloLens, I mean, the combination of all those things is like, okay, so there are still some technological hurdles, but there's an inevitability about the wearable. Yep. And that is, again, super exciting. And then it really puts into question, well, how relevant is the phone device, period? Right. If all of our kind of sensory experiences are taken care of, then what's the point of that? And that's when I get like, oh, my gosh, that's crazy. (laughs) If we're going to have devices that replace our like insert things into the things we see, Mm -hmm. why does it matter how big your phone is? Like you look down and you see whatever you want. Yeah. Or whatever Apple wants. Well, I think about that because I come from a theater background where the sensory experience of being in the presence of other individuals, the auditory side of it, you know, actually seeing real three-dimensional objects in front of you, like all of those components played a huge role in the just overarching experience that you have as a theater goer. Mm-hmm. And this is the thing that we experience left and right, even in cars, you know, you the, the touch of the upholstery, the kind of 
the form factor of the driving experience. I mean, all of these bits and pieces play a huge role into the kind of net experience that creates that kind of bi- that emotional binding to a given thing. Yeah. And so where my fascination comes up is, you know, we look at the phone and it's the at least the introduction of the iPhone where we have this big, large display that is providing a really rich visual sensory experience, but does not yet have things like the haptic feedback that currently exists. Right. But it did master like that feeling of just scrolling through your content really fast, having that direct touch. Mm -hmm. Like I can literally just flick my finger and I have brand new content right in front of my eyes, you know, nearly instantaneously. You know, the original iPhone was kind of slow, but compared to anything in the past, it was nearly instantaneous. You were you didn't have to like boot up and operate a machine. You were just flicking content and it was becoming more content. Right. I mean it radically changes the way in which we interact with our content, which we were not we did not have the ability to do prior to that time. And so it's really it I mean to what you're pointing out is just where it becomes so fascinating to me is like you know, we've we've seen dating all the way back to Star Trek and, you know, the sci-fis of 30, 40, 50 years ago where they're visualizing these crazy experiences or the minority report experience, which is often referenced when we talk about AR of, you know, putting up your hand and moving objects in space. And of course, with the HoloLens, we're starting to see that happen. Yeah. But the real question to me is like, what happens when you combine the perceived experience of moving your hand through space with things like the haptic feedback of a watch or wearable device. Oh, interesting. And combine that again with things like, you know, the being able to aud- augment the auditory experience, right? Where you can start to place things spatially that don't exist in the real world mm-hmm. and or manipulate the things that are in the real world to provide an even greater focus on a given thing. Like outside of the entire Apple ecosystem, you know, we might've seen like Bose has experimented with this and other headphone providers have experimented with like focused dynamic microphones that cut the noise out from a distance. So I might look at you, Chris, from 20 feet away. And just because I'm directionally facing you, the device itself is understanding that I'm probably interested in what you're having to say or you're my focal point, and it'll start to blur, at least auditorily, orally, it'll start to blur the background and give more kind of focus and density around what you're saying and the audio that's coming from you. I mean, so it's this idea of like wow. aug- an augmented experience isn't just about the minority report experience of putting things in front of you, but it's about actually refining your reality and giving you more focused context. And that's wild to me. That's just so exciting. That's an interesting question. Like, you know, there is that like minority report or, you know, whatever kind of expectation of like, the future is definitely a lot flashier, but how does the future become more useful? Like, how do we actually take these new capabilities and, you know, use them to actually augment what we do? And how does user interface work? Like, you know, anyone that's used like a device like the Connect, where you're using your hands as controllers, essentially, or, you know, I think their slogan where it was like, you are the controller. But what it ended up being like is, if you move your arm around enough in an exaggerated enough way, you might be able to like knock the softball back at somebody. <laughs> so uh, the tools that we use to control devices now, like, you know, styli or our fingers or our keyboards or mice, they're really, they're high precision and they they feel natural because our intent transfers into the machine like completely and in a way that we expect. How are the interfaces going to change for things that that augment our vision or 
or how, how do you control an augmented reality? The, this is the total wild west right now. And this is part of the reason why I believe the AR experience is not taken hold like we all see its potential as having. You know, I think most of us have probably played with an AR experience either through something like Pokemon Go or another game like it, or maybe you've downloaded the IKEA app and you placed a chair in your room and been like, wow, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. But I think that this is an area where we as, you know, almost where it, it touches on our own like human evolution. And what I mean by that is to this point, we are accustomed to experiences that extend to the reach of our arm or extend to the vision of our, the 2020 vision of our eyesight mm-hmm. or the ability of our ears to hear things in stereo yet capture and, and rely on our brain to do the processing for ourselves. And so the limits, when we kind of compound the, our abilities with technology and we say, well, what if technology could give us that 520 vision that we always wish we had? Right. Or what if we could now, instead of relying on our brain for that rapid recall of information and provide more detailed context around something I have only seen or heard of once, what if instead of having to keep that in our mind, that's something that now technology can augment and provide more detail towards? That's already happened for me with code editing. You know, right. right. Nobody right. knows the whole library, you know, the entire language, programming language you're using at the whole library. We already use Google Stack Overflow, you know, docs, you know, all, all the library docs as an extension of our brains. Right. Exactly. No, that's it. That's, I think that's entirely what we've experienced so much of. I mean, that's almost where I think like the experience of the phone and the power of it in our lives has really materialized. It's, I mean, it's a double edged sword at some level, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's exciting to know I don't have to keep so much information or more importantly, the accessibility of information is right there in front of me. And I think that's where from a futurist standpoint, that's an easy uh, and very interesting set of conclusions to draw is, oh, well, we're going to make that information more readily available to us. Mm-hmm. I think what's really exciting to me is when it can not think for us, but it can help expand our limits and beliefs about what's possible in front of us. So interesting, right? So that it's not about look, you know, driving down the street and looking to our left and to our right and, you know, seeing what houses are for sale and or be able to visualize a walkthrough of that, but instead for it to be able to extend our understanding about the history of a given thing and what in relationship to other things might be relevant to us. So let's say, again, I'm driving down the street, and what I would want to know is things like the history of what's on this street or gotcha. you know, the, the lives of the people that live here. I mean, to some, I can understand that that would be a little creepy, but sure. you know, to just provide that as a resource now to where you know, I can get a history lesson just walking down the street that I might not ever have before or might not even know about before. I guess we've already solved the problem of like all of the world's information is searchable, right? Like we can find answers to any question. But what if mm-hmm. our, what if machines understand what we're doing and then answer our questions before we can even ask them? Isn't that a little freaky? <laughs> it's a little freaky. But like we, we already have contextual things like, you know, I have a I have a I have a smartphone that turns off notifications when I'm driving. If I start, if it connects to my car, it mm-hmm. pulls up a notification that shows me how to navigate home if I'm away or to my next appointment if I'm leaving for another appointment or tells me when to leave for my next appointment, right? Mm-hmm. We already have devices and systems that 
try to understand our next steps or our intent. And so if we have a system that's tied to what we're to where we are and what we're seeing, showing us like information in that context is is a pretty solvable problem, right? Mm-hmm. Which is amazing. Like being able to like look at something on like look at a plaque and then see, okay, here's like the whole history. Is very cool. It's super cool. That's very cool. But I'm, you know, the area that, so we're a consultancy, right? And we build a lot of products, web and mobile applications for companies that are in just, you know, various domains. What I'm really intrigued by as a consultancy is how this is going to change the definition of what a full stack engineer now becomes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we started to see this in our own company because, you know, not but let's say five, six, seven years ago, even after the iPhone had really taken hold, you know, I, I'd probably say 70 to 80% of the work that companies in our space were doing were primarily for the web. Right. It wasn't until probably five, four or five years ago, um, and definitely today, where the mobile device and the web experience had to be tackled as one and the same. That if you right. weren't... They're of equal importance. Right. They're totally of equal importance. And so the definition of full stack went from just something that involved you know, server-side applications like Ruby on Rails that we involve ourselves in to JavaScript frameworks. But then even further than that is experience on mobile development itself and how would these all, all of these devices connect. So when we talk about changing the user experience and the elements of that, and effectively, we're we're talking about the idea that the browser as a means of consuming, you know, the vast spectrum of information available to us as just human beings on this planet now. Like when we now decouple ourselves from that, now we're starting to get into a really interesting notion that web development is no longer a thing. Like that interesting that the web is actually no longer in it, something you interface with via your computer or your device, but in fact, it is the experience around you. The web is all around us all the time, yeah, all day. Yeah, so that instead, it's like, what then are going to be those interface components? What then are going to be the the details and the, the the pieces of that puzzle that now all need to be factored in? And I think what's likely to happen because this is what's happening today, is it's going to come down to taking a 2D experience and turning it, putting it into a 3D space and being like, wow, you know, this is now exciting. Mm-hmm. What I think is likely to occur, which for us as full stack engineers, we now to be, need to become hyper aware of is what are the types of experiences that are just simply not possible right now that are are going to need to be possible tomorrow. And even beyond that point is what type of data do we assume needs to be correlated to one another in a, in the, as far as that experience goes against what can now be blown apart and put very contextually bound on certain objects in that space. Interesting. So not only are we dealing with non-2D screens, but we're also dealing with like non-2D intentions. Part of UI design is like understand what your user wants to do. And usually that's like, what are they hovering on? What did they click on? What are the most important things that they would want to do on a screen? Mm-hmm. But now it's like, what are they looking at? Where are they? You could just continue on from there for every aspect of people's lives, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, did they gaze? Mm-hmm. Did they find, I mean, we could read now eye motions now to determine things like level of interest, even beyond what the user themselves can articulate 
Yeah. Consciously. Is the new long press the long gaze? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So it, does that level of like connectivity with a person's inner thoughts and inner kind of intentions, does that freak you out any? To only to the extent of wanting to know what it's used for. If its purpose is simply to better my life experience and help me live a better life and not from a salesy per marketing perspective of, you know, this car is going to make you a happier person. So you definitely want that, you know, that DVD upgrade. Not that. Certainly a more attractive person. Certainly, certainly a more attractive person. Exactly. I mean, if, if it's, if we're talking about it in that vein, which I think unfortunately is inevitable because that's how this will be financed then no, I'm not as excited by it. And I, I'm going to find that I'm likely to resist at some level. Well, at the same time as I'm always going to be seeking a better experience. And so in areas such as providing a function to an individual that might not have it themselves, as an example, somebody who might be hearing impaired or is somebody that is visually impaired or just one of the many senses or some form of impairment, so when we look at it from that perspective, to provide the ability to be able to either give them back that an ability they've either lost or never had and or amplify that, right? As an example, you know, I have 20-20 vision but wear glasses. I don't know what the future holds with my eyesight. So being able to create an experience where if my eyesight begins to degrade for any reason, it can continue to be – things can continue to be, quote, unquote, visually stimulating. That sort of – augmentation of my reality is something I'm very, very eager to see. And I hope to see that, especially in areas like this, that that is going to be where at the end of the day, the altruistic people of the world and altruistic developers of the world are going to really build products for the people of the world instead of just the marketeers of the world. That's an optimistic view of the world. Perhaps the value to be created is by delivering better lives for people and that that's how this sort of thing will succeed, right? Like, hopefully it won't just be about entertaining us and spying on us. Yeah, without a doubt. You know, and unfortunately, I think it's, you know, not to be a, a negative person, but I do think there's an inevitability around that where there's a double-edged sword when it comes to providing context. That, that kind of machine learning, that artificial intelligence that helps yeah. Not think for us as far as taking away an ability, but augmenting our ability to make better decisions. It requires an immense amount of understanding. And that understanding is really only gained through capturing experiences right. that we might not might not be knowingly contributing to. And so this is where it's that really kind of rich and questionable space. Definitely. In order to truly understand what you are and where you are and what you want to do, these machines have to observe us. And that's going to lead to things like behavioral interfaces where, you know, there's this, mm -hmm. this sense that who I am is not fully known to me, but for the benefit of me, I need to accept that who I am, the part that I'm unaware of is contributing back to the whole so that I can go down a more fruitful path. <laughs> you know, And that, yeah, yeah, it's a weird spot. You have to be a little more self-aware, I guess, or less self-aware. A little bit. Or less. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So pulling it back to the creator aspect, how are tools going to change? Like, you know, we, we're designing for 2D screens. We're thinking about 2D problems. And we're thinking about traditional types of input. Like, how are we going to create these these uh, these things? Well, the, 
I, I'm not sure, but similar to the web space, we were all, for, you know, in the very early stages of the web, you know, the late 90s, mid late 90s, and even into the very early 2000s, we weren't really diving into Photoshop yet. You know, we were dealing with the browser's interpretation of how a text field or text in general would be displayed. You know, it was pretty rudimentary. It was very content focused and not experience focused. And then, of course, you know, Photoshop is a 2D means of 2D interaction that or 2D design and creation that then started to add in things like web exporting and gave us the ability to create more visually stimulating experiences. And then even to this day, we've now got Sketch and other tools that are very tailored towards, you know, the des- application and web web and mobile application design. So I would anticipate something very similar happening. Right. I think that right now we have things, you know, many different 3D programs ranging from the open source, you know, Blender as a 3D, you know, rendering engine all the way through even just After Effects as a tool. And I think similar to how Photoshop is going to evolve, I think we're going to see that continue to be true. What I would not be surprised to see is if how browsers started to adopt the ability to create more dynamic styling. I think we're going to start to see that in the actual frameworks and platforms we're using to create these AR apps, that they're going to start to provide even more styling capability. Mm -hmm. And as an example, where there's CSS for web design, we're going to start to see something like that for, you know, these kind of 3D experiences. And I think if I was to guesstimate here, I would imagine that it's going to be based off of CSS as far as its constraints are concerned in terms of, you know, things like depth as well as, you know, kind of rounding and or kind of the curvature of things. How do you describe 3D objects in a simple syntax kind of question? Right. And for the most part, we look at it as adding a Z index, right? We assume that, you know, we've got X and Y, let's add Z. And by that, you know, we now have something. But In reality, I think we're going to blow the doors off of what the spatial, as far as from design, from a design perspective, we're going to blow the doors off of what spatial relationships can start to look like, right? I mean, we've seen a lot of text in AR where it's just, you know, you take Times New Roman and you just give it some depth and you're like, look, it's a magical 3D font. That obviously is going to become the 90s old school version of, you know, What's that? What's the horrible font that everybody used in the 90s? Comic Sans. Comic Sans. That's going to be the Comic Sans. Yep. Big text in front of your face in 3D. Yeah. I think some of the stuff we're going to see that's going to drive a lot of that is going to be in the marketing space. So I could visualize that when things like AR become really ubiquitous to our day-to-day life, we'll see brands and companies that are going to start to replace their flat 2D signage on buildings with by assuming that most people around them are going to have this ability to augment that experience and so they'll be able to create these very this very dynamic signage that you can only see in an ar space right or maybe product placement in reality absolutely Uh, in fact there was one company i can't say names but we were working with for a period of time that was looking at the integration with garments and and how that would play a role as far as you know your personal brand like how might you have the ability to you know ex- express yourself now in an augmented way Ooh. so that right so it wasn't necessarily about the design you had you know the blatant design that you had but what would it be today are you describing virtual flair because <laughs> i really would like virtual flair i <laughs> I'm just now introducing the next big wave, which is virtual flair. You named it. 
I introduced it on this podcast. <laughs> Very nice. I like naming things. Well, that's exciting. Are you generally, like when you look at the future, do you look at it with fear and, and doubt and wondering, or are you optimistic and excited about it? I am pragmatic about it. So I feel that I start from a state of optimism and then I quickly look to understand why. So why would this matter? What are the motivations? What's the logical end to this? And and also, is there an inevitability to it? So I think this is, to all the full stack engineers out there, I think now is the time when we need to accept the inevitability of wearables, that we are going to see the form factor change radically. And companies like Apple and Google, the literally the biggest companies in the world, are investing so heavily in making this our future that to deny that it's going to be a reality is, it's ridiculous in my mind. So like we, foolishness. It's foolish, yeah. Um, while at the same time as we have time. So, you know, in this article as an example, it speaks to at its earliest a product release in 2019, realistically an actual product launch in 2020, somewhere along those lines. So, you know, we've got two years, but with Apple releasing ARKit and Google uh, releasing its kit into Android, you know, boning up on uh, not just the syntax and the, you know, the frameworks themselves, but understanding what that means in context, I think is really, really important. And for us as engineers, understanding what does 3D space look like from a programmatic standpoint, not just with a Z index, but, you know, as far as animators and, you know, experience engineering is concerned, I think is huge. And for a company like us, where we do have a chief experience officer, I think we're going to find that even more companies are going to need that type of role because it's not just about designing a beautiful experience, but it's actually augmenting an existing experience. And that is a radically different state of mind. That's thinking about it entirely differently. Let's get busy inventing the future. I like that idea. Yeah. I love that idea. I think that that's a great place to wrap up. So thank you everyone so much for listening. If you want even more interestings, please sign up for our newsletter at codingzeal.com slash interestings or follow us on Twitter at codingzeal. Thanks, Adam. Thank you so much, Chris. Had a great time. Thanks.